It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us again. It is Farmer Friday, so our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do, I just want to remind you about the Ag PhD Field Day. It's coming up in just under four weeks now. It is Thursday, July 28th, always the last Thursday in July. It's a free event we put on on our farm each year to show you our research and to basically say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. And we've got a lot of great guest speakers coming in, some fantastic farmers showing you what they're doing in their fields, and uh, new product releases like with a lot of the big equipment companies. We're going to have a whole bunch of autonomous equipment running in the field. I mean, it's going to be going to be a lot of fun. Our biggest and best event ever. Just go to agphd.com to learn more, but that's the Ag PhD Field Day coming up in late July. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, Brian, get this one from Mike over in the state of Minnesota. And Mike said, we've got aphids in our alfalfa. We sprayed silencer, which is a pyrethroid, at the full rate, 3.84 ounces per acre. And we didn't do a good job. Now, we've had trouble killing soybean aphids in the past with pyrethroids. Uh, just kind of curious, I, what should we use in the next cutting for an insecticide? This alfalfa is getting fed in dairy production, if if that makes a difference. Okay, I'd use dimethoate next, and to to be even better than that, I'd use a combination full rate dimethoate plus full rate of silencer. Why why wouldn't you use the the specific aphid products? Why why wouldn't you, you just can. pick a transform safina type product or, yeah, or one you, of the you certainly could something that's labeled there. It just depends on is that all you're trying to kill or are you trying to get more insects under control? So yes, there are plenty of options out there that can kill aphids. But I want to kind of come back to this this question of why wouldn't we be killing the bugs? I mean, I don't know what you think, Darren, but my opinion is a lot of people wait until there are so many bugs out there and then they say, oh, now I'm going to spray. It's like, did it fail or did you actually get a really good kill, but there were just so darn many out there, either you didn't get the coverage or you didn't get every last one of them under control or something like that. Because I just don't see that. The, the farmers that I work with, the stuff we're doing in our farm, but we're pulling the trigger early. I mean, if we see a few bugs, then we get, get them under control as opposed to a lot. So I don't know why we would be seeing that issue. I, I mean, is it possible because of heat and it doesn't stick around long? Yes, if it's 100 degrees, the pyrethroids aren't the best. But you know what? Even there, if you've got a low amount of insects... We're still getting pretty good control most of the time. Well, I, I shouldn't even say most of the time. All of the time is what I'm seeing. So that's why I'm just trying to figure out what what could be going on there, why they wouldn't have gotten the kill that they should have. I don't think it's resistance. I really don't. Could it be? Sure, it could. But this has been my contention all along, whether we're talking weeds, insects, diseases. If you're trying to kill an unbelievable number of them, even 90% control or 95% control looks terrible. So 
I, we were talking about this with Enlist One, too, where some people were unhappy with the performance. And it's like, well, you got 10 million weeds out there. <laughs> I mean, what do you expect? No product is going to be perfect. So anyway, we would just always tell you, try to stay ahead of these things as much as you can. And maybe I'm dead wrong on this in this particular case, and it just flat out, for whatever reason, the product didn't work. I don't know. It just seems strange to me. All right, thank you for the question. Uh, get this one from Wade, and Wade said, "Guys, we are running a twenty-eight percent nitrogen liquid product uh, that also has some sulfur in it from ammonium thiosulfate. We're doing a wide drop application. I'm curious about your thoughts on stabilizers. Would you think a liquid carbon product like a humic or fulvic would be good enough, or should we use a urease type stabilizer like agrotane, etc.? Well, you tell me when it's going to rain, and I'll tell you what I think. You know what I mean. So, humic, is it going to help? That's what a lot of people have said. I don't have a lot of data to back that up, but a lot of people have talked about that, that there is some benefit to that. Would the other product, the actual stabilizer, be better? Yes, it would. But if it's going to rain tomorrow, it doesn't make any difference. If it's going to rain three or five days from now, it'll make a slight difference. If it's going to rain two weeks from now, then you're going to see a difference most likely. So that's the whole thing. Like on our farm, we did all our side dress with coulters this year. Did we want to do that? No. But we haven't had rain. We haven't had good rain in two years. I, 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 well, I really shouldn't say that. We had about a one-month reprieve this spring. But otherwise, we're right back to drought. All our corn's rolled up. It's just it's a little frustrating. When you see these good crop prices, Got off, everything got off to a good start. We planted on time, of course, because we've been dry. And then all the corn's rolled up here, and we're just hitting the 1st of July. It's like, ah, it's just disappointing. So anyway, hopefully you get rain soon, and then it's not going to matter a whole lot what you do for a stabilizer, whether it's humic or an actual stabilizer product. All right, thanks for the question. Oh, Hey, oh. I should – sorry, and I forgot to mention, ammonium thiosulfate on its own is a little bit of a stabilizer already. So that's going to help you already – Humic would step it up just a little bit, and the stabilizer would step it up just a little bit more. All right. Thanks for that question. Got this one from Billy. He said, guys, it's our first time trying to grow some sorghum Sudan grass, and we've got a problem. We call it stinkweed here. I'm just wondering, what do I do? Uh, I see things that are labeled in sorghum. Is there anything for sorghum Sudan grass? But it makes it tough outside of atrazine. I don't know what else is even labeled in sorghum sudan grass. It, it's a little bit challenging, no no doubt about that. You may have to spot spray out there. Um, boy, if you don't start clean going into sorghum sudan, you just don't have a lot of options. Now, the good thing with sorghum sudan grass, if it's planted thick enough, it right. can choke That's out a lot of weeds. So hopefully it will choke that stinkweed out for you. Hey, thanks for the question, Billy, and good luck to you. We'll be right back with Farmer Friday after this. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it 
depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrisha and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Low rates and high yields with Spraytec fertilizers. Yes, get low rates and high yields with Spraytec's Fulltech, the most complete adjuvant on the market. Fulltech offers burn control, better fixation on leaves, better homogenization in the tank mix, drift control, better spreadability, and more. Fulltech is changing the way you treat your crops. Get higher yields and more money in your bank account with Fulltech from Spraytech. Ask your local retail for Fulltech adjuvant or visit Spraytech.com for more details. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Right before the break, Darren brought up sorghum, sedan grass, and weed control in there, and we kind of ran out of time there. I was just going to throw in, you could actually do 2,4-D. So a lot of 2,4-Ds are labeled in sorghum, sedan grass. I mean, we don't like using 2,4-D, and especially old 2,4-D that can volatilize. But that is an option if you would like to do that. So, yeah, you got atrazine, you got 2,4-D. There's not a whole lot else you can do. But like Darren said, a lot of times sorghum sedan grass will grow pretty thick, it'll grow fast, and it will choke out the weeds quite often. All right, let's dive into our phone lines here. Again, uh, if you have a question for us or would like to talk about what's going on on your farm, it's 844 844- 44 ag phd got our friend tony wendler on right now with farm shop mfg tony how you doing i am doing excellent how are things in south dakota dry tony we are dry and the humidity has kind of been going down what what are you noticing with that and does that change anything that is uh has dramatic impact on things the uh when that humidity comes down you want to really restrict ventilating your grain unless you have to got a hot spot or a problem to deal with that's one thing but uh you're going to uh over dry your beans which you know hey, if we get humid air you can put that water back in it's i don't want to do it but it's uh you can fix it later if you got time corn uh if you run the fans with dry air 50 percent air uh you are going to start a dry in front at the bottom and you are going to strip moisture out of your uh corn at the bottom so it's a it's a bad time to ventilate uh it, uh you want to, if you have to do something, look for some humidity at night and cooler air for opportunities to run your fans. The uh, uh, and the other thing is perhaps we'll get some fronts coming through. You know, this weekend uh, sounds like we've got a, a few opportunities for some uh, pop-up storms, which could bring some more humid air with them for just short time periods. If you got an automatic control, it's going to work for you. If you're doing it uh, on your own. Pay attention to your uh, cell phone. Look for one of those apps that have uh, 
hourly uh, humidity forecast. So you can say, okay, I can run my fans between here and here, and i got to turn them off. But uh, humidity, uh, if you want to sell water, and I love selling water, uh, you, uh, you need to monitor it and watch what's going on. Yeah, a lot of things to keep an eye on, and, and the weather definitely changes as you go. Like you mentioned, there's a chance there's some storms coming this way, and uh, hopefully that just means nice, gentle rains. <laughs> the word storm sounds scary to me, Tony, and I don't know if I want to root for storms. <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that. And you, you guys have had them. I just, that uh, derecho thing, I just caught the tail end of that one. But uh, the uh, uh, you guys have had them there this year, and those are always – they can make you wonder, uh, but on the other side, I've got fond memories of sitting in a machine shed door on a bucket, uh, talking with my dad and brothers and the hired man while it was storming outside. So yeah. that's, a, that's a good way to look at a summer storm. I like to watch them too, no doubt about that. So what, what do the crops look like in your part of Iowa? You know, we get... Uh, they are looking, I'm going to say they're looking good. Uh, when we get dry, like right now, I'm starting to see my, my corn roll again. Uh, the, uh, we got uh, some rains here last uh, Saturday, and that's running out again. Um, so we need water. Uh, we need continuous rain to keep feeding this crop. Uh, but uh, aside from that, the, uh, I've got to say the crops look good here, but we're we're in a dry area, and I contrast this with uh, talking with uh, my son down by Des Moines, and they can't, uh, it, it rains there every day. He wishes he could send it to us. Yeah, that would so, sure, that'd sure be nice if we could do it, if we could share when we need it. I mean, hey, we'd be happy to share some excess heat, like anything above 85. We can just pass those extra 10 degrees along to some others that, <laughs> yeah. that need that. Well, when you look at that drought monitor, too, the, the latest drought monitor just came out yesterday. Um, it's starting to look pretty severe through a lot of where we raise corn and soybeans and especially wheat around the United States. So it's changing and it's changing fast. Yeah, we're going to need some going to need some rain soon. Hey, Tony, thanks a lot for uh, for calling in today. Really appreciate it. I'll throw one real quick. Yeah, go ahead. I just, I just talked to a farmer from Indiana here five, ten minutes ago, and uh, he was uh, talking. They were so wet this spring. And they have turned extremely dry there yep. now. Yep. And the big problem there is those plants did not root down due to the wet soil earlier. Definitely. And they're having trouble chasing that groundwater as it's evaporating away from them, draining away. Yep. Worst possible scenario, too wet in the spring and then drought in the summer. That does not set up well. Again, we've been talking with Tony Wendler with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye. Well, Tony was saying he was talking to somebody from Indiana. We got a caller from Indiana. It's Gordon. Hey, Gordon, how are you today? Hello, guys. Hope everybody's well. You bet. You too. Well, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. Question. Uh, thinking about uh, the fungicide and maybe adding boron or or uh, potassium acetate. Question yep. really becomes, uh, as we try to do the best job possible, what is the proper pH? that we need to have and what products maybe move that i mean I'm, i we tested some potassium acetate that was over 9 ph so yep 
and that's not good. Needle somehow. Yeah, we want yeah. that. Yeah, we want that pH of the water or of the solution when we're spraying fungicide to be under seven. As long as it's under seven, we're usually pretty good. I mean, if it's five, five and a half, six, sure, that'd be great. But we got to make sure that it's under seven if we want the best results. Plus, then the fungicide, any most pesticides, I will say, will last a little bit longer. They won't degrade quite as quickly. You get to a nine pH, and we start having we start having some real problems. In terms of what products can lower that, you just have to talk to somebody in your area and see what they're what they've got on hand. But like for our farm, we use a product called Water Right. Probably costs I don't know twenty five, thirty five cents an acre, something like that. It sequesters some of the hard water ions and then lowers the water pH. Quite often, we'll take our eight pH, that's kind of standard here, and it'll drop to five and a half or maybe six almost instantly, and that's really good and it helps our performance. Have you seen a, a definite performance then between the pH of 7 to go to down to the 5.5 five or 6? There is some data out there that will say that, yes. Now, I'm not going to tell you that it's something so dramatic that you're going to you're gonna go, wow, there's a, a, an enormous difference on my field. It's 20 bushels or anything like that. But is it a little thing? Yes. And you just never know when diseases can get so bad that – all of a sudden, that little maybe half bushel average thing all of a sudden becomes five bushels. So we'd prefer to have that water pH a little lower. It costs almost nothing to do it. It's very simple to do it. So that's typically what we suggest. Okay. It's one of your $100 an hour job. <laughs> Knowledge is always power, as you know, Gordon. So when we have some of this information, that's why we like passing it on because it's just it's it sounds like a real simple little thing where you you put some adjuvant or additive in there, lower that water pH, or you have to pay attention to what you're adding, like like you were talking about with this potassium acetate thing. Okay, if you're going to throw something in that could technically raise the ph well now we've got some issues there so anyway uh yeah, yeah hopefully All that right. helps you thank you you bet thank you yeah gordon's talking about fungicides and that's something we've been discussing here on our own farm too when to pull the trigger I was ready to go as soon as the corn got to five feet tall. Problem is all the corns rolled up and so we've just been having this debate should we wait for rain and uh, we, we'd really kind of like to wait for rain. I'm, we've got a chance of rain every day for the next week, though. So hopefully we'll get some rain and then we'll go. Now, normally for us, spraying fungicide as we get near and at tassel is not a real big deal. But if we have a wet year, we've really seen good gains. And I'd also say when we're talking 7 or $8 corn, it's hard not to invest extra dollars. Even at $6 corn, you go, hmm. It would not take much for us to pay for our trip across the field. We've got a sprayer that can go tall, so we can spray it ourselves at five, six, seven feet tall. So I just say all we have in it is the cost of the fungicide. And as long as we're out there, if we need to spray an insecticide or something else, we certainly can do that too. All right, again, it's Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back with more of your phone calls.
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall in the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts you gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, and our phone lines are open all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you would like to call in, ask a question, or talk about what's happening in your part of the world. Uh, let's head down to Iowa right now. Got Josh on with us. Uh, Josh, how are things going around your farm and with your crops? Pretty good so far this year. It was a little rough getting them in uh, with some cold and wet weather, but it's turned around and warmed up and... Things grew quick, so getting what? our Y-drops finished up and, and getting the beans finished up, getting sprayed, and hopefully we'll catch a rain here. A lot of guys talked about the beans in Iowa just looked rough at first and, and were really slow coming. How, how are they doing now, and, and how soon until they're going to fill in the rows? 
It's going to be a while. Uh, we put ours in before we put the corn in like a lot of people are, but it was the second week of May by the time we got our first beans in. And I was in them the other night, and they're flowering, but they're only about eight inches tall. And there's probably, we plant in 30-inch rows, so there's probably a good two feet between the rows. So it's going to be be a little while until they, they shade anything in, I think. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, of course, we aren't sitting in an excess position in rain in many areas of the country. What? How about where you're at in Iowa? Are you guys catching some rains? Right where we are, not necessarily. I had a little patch of rain go south of us and uh, today, and and we haven't gotten any. So it's 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 it started out really wet, and you know, kind of filled the sponge uh, of soil with with water, but uh, it's kind of turned off the last three four weeks. So we're kind of kind of needing a drink. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Okay, so the corn got in a little bit late in your area, and what's that looking like? How big is the corn? Um, honestly, we're about the knee high by the 4th of July saying, cause okay. it's, it's, it was real short until about three weeks ago and it was maybe four inches high and, and now we're, we're a, a strong V7, but it's, it's not super tall. I know some of the hybrids I've, I've tried to have, we've had wind problems in the past, so I've had my seed guy kind of choose shorter statured hybrids anyway. So excellent. I don't know if we're going to be the 10 foot tall corn and that's not really what i'm shooting for no anyway. no absolutely not it doesn't take 10 foot tall corn to make good yield so no I, I like your strategy of picking some of those shorter statured products that'll be fun to see what kind of stock they put on and you know with the the wide dropping that you're doing uh, are you putting out a ton of nitrogen what how much of your uh, nitrogen budget did you leave for this post-emerge application um we put about 50 pounds on uh an acre on this pass uh, we last fall. Usually, we do a liquid program uh, in the spring, but with the rising cost of anhydrous or of uh, nitrogen last year, uh, my agronomist kind of suggested we try the anhydrous route, where it had already doubled by the time we got around to getting ready to apply it last year, and then it doubled again in price. So I'm kind of glad we got a got a good base of 180, 190 pounds down last fall, and we're just trying to kind of fill in the gaps and, and, you know, get, get enough nitrogen out there to fill out the, t the tips of, of all of our plants when we get, should start shooting ears and not letting it, let it run out. We haven't really had, we had a couple three inch rains a few weeks ago, uh, probably a month ago now that kind of kept us out of the fields when we were trying to plant. But I wouldn't say we've had, you know, major leaching events or anything, but we just kind of want to fill in those gaps of, you know, make sure we can, get all the yield we can, especially when it's worth as much as it is. Yeah, that's for sure. It's uh, There's a lot of value out there, no doubt about it. So uh, glad to hear the crop's looking good. Hopefully you guys catch a little bit of rain too and, and keep this thing rolling. But great checking in with you, Josh. Thank you so much. Sounds good. Have a happy fourth. You bet. You too. Let's head over to Wyoming. We've got Leon with us right now. Now, normally in this time of year, when we talk to anybody in Wyoming, it's like, okay, it hasn't rained here forever. Um, I don't want to jinx things here, but Lee, how how's it going out where you're at in Wyoming? It's going great, Brian. We've got water running. But like you said, we're, it's been a little while since rain and none in the forecast. So. Now with the with irrigation, you know, I, a lot of times I'm looking at what humidity levels are, and and the humidity's just been really low too. Uh, mm -hmm. How does it does it change how you do the irrigation? I mean, is it something where you say, well, we're trying to to do it at night, or we're trying to do it early in the morning, or is it, man, I got to keep rolling all the time? 
pretty pretty much we keep it going all the time uh on the corn until recently uh we can shut it off until it starts to dry up uh most of the barley is we're start our barley start starting to head out uh mostly malt barley around here and so uh waters unless it cools right down uh we keep water going right now so Talk to us about the malt barley, because uh, a lot of us are, are consumers, but I, I wouldn't say most of us are growing malt <laughs> barley, which is good for you. So what are what are the things that we need to know about malt barley, and what's supply looking like? Uh, does it look like a pretty good crop? Uh, looks really good, uh, especially compared to last year. Um, or last year, uh, with the extreme heat in June, uh, the yield got hit a little bit right when we were starting to head out um but this uh price is pretty good this year and uh we under under irrigation we're looking 115 130 bushels an acre wow. depending on the variety so it's a it uh with our cooler nights and higher elevation it's a really good crop for us here yeah that's awesome that's awesome now you're you're quite a ways away from Yellowstone. I know we, we all saw some of the crazy weather things happening up there. Did did that bring rain through your area or any moisture through your area, or were you just totally unaffected? Uh, just barely not. Uh, I'm about uh, about 60 miles from Yellowstone, uh, but further north up into Montana, they really got, got flooded. Um, from from all the pictures that I saw, I didn't make it up there. No, it didn't sound like a good area to visit right around that time. No, no, no. But our, our watershed was, we had a little high water in the river, but uh, the watersheds further north really got hit. So Okay. So you got malt barley, you got corn. What other crops are you growing, Lee, or what other crops are predominant in your area? Uh, this year I've got corn, malt barley, and alfalfa. Uh, there's a lot of dry dry edible beans, uh, some sugar beets, quite quite a bit of sugar beets, um, some oat seeds, a little bit of grass seed, kind of kind of a, a good variety. Yeah, yeah. How about the alfalfa? What kind of year did you get a good first cutting? Got a pretty good first cutting. Not uh, not the best. I was like 1.8 tons on it. Uh, we had a frost that nipped it a little bit in early may okay um but the second cutting looks uh looks really good i'm i'm trying to hit a 28 day cut schedule so here in two weeks or so we'll see see what it looks like yeah that two week window for us too is is uh, scouting time uh time to get insecticide out there if we need it so we got time to beat that pre-harvest interval all those kinds of things uh where's your mm-hmm. alfalfa going do you feed it up yourself or do you got a market there uh, i have a i have a few cows i try to graze most through the winter and feed a feed a lot of barley straw um to my own uh there's there's some local feed lots a lot of uh a lot of hay goes on video auction uh and gets sold it go, it goes all over yeah but uh, a lot a lot went up into montana last year with the drought sure um, sure but a, a lot stays local to to feed calves and cows around here during the winter 
Yeah, we sure have some dry conditions out there. Brian and I were just talking about uh, some friends down in Nebraska, and they are really, really mm-hmm. suffering right now too. So, well, Lee, good luck to you. I'm glad to glad to hear things are doing pretty good. Good luck on this malt barley harvest. It'll be coming up before you know it too. It, it's going to be coming really quick. So, you bet. Well, thanks, Lee. So, thanks, Darren. You bet. Yeah, it's it's fun talking about some of these other crops and and uh, just realizing what goes into producing them and and Wyoming definitely a, an area that it's a little challenging to grow some crops there some years and uh, as long as that irrigation keeps going on the corn things should be good there too. Uh, getting a lot of questions that are coming in via email that's radio at agphd.com if you'd like to send a question in that way and of course our phone lines are open throughout the show on a Farmer Friday it's eight four four. 44 ag phd we'll be right back after this with a few more of your calls and some of your email questions too corn rootworms are called the billion dollar bug for a reason If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Labeled for field corn and seed corn, Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. That proven chemistry makes it an excellent fit in integrated pest management and insect resistance management programs. And with less effect on beneficials than many traditional chemistries, Steward EC Insecticide reduces your risk of creating other pest issues like flaring spider mites. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. 
To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open if you would like to call in or ask an agronomic question or discuss what's going on on your farm. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. It's head north of the border up to Saskatchewan. we got Jake on with us right now. Jake, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. We've got nice weather for the first time in a while. It's a great day to spray, so that's what I'm doing. Awesome. Yeah, we actually had a spray day today, too. It's kind of different when the wind isn't blowing out there. Yeah, it's been something else this year. I I got to say, this is probably one of the worst years that we've ever had. This is the first day this week it hasn't rained, and uh, it's the first day this week that we haven't had 25 or 40 mile an hour winds. So it's been a real battle to get anything done. So when that happens, I know obviously rain, hey, we like some, but when it's excessive, that's not good either. But are there certain crops that are responding well to this year? I know you guys generally are pretty diverse up there in the crops you're planting. Yeah, I mean, this year, obviously, the pulse crops are struggling a bit more. Um, We're seeing some root rot showing up in our peas, and our lentils have lots of flooded out spots. The cereals are doing okay, but um, we've lost a a good amount of acres on them. So it's probably the canola that's responding the best. It, It took a while to get going, but now it's really cabbaged out, and it looks pretty healthy, and at least the little spots that are flooded out or didn't emerge very good or various other things it'll fill those in really well so we've been doing some top dressing on that to try and get a little bit more yield out of it if the rest of the year creates that opportunity for us all right your top dressing recipe now that you mentioned that does it change year to year do you do some testing that's going to determine exact pounds or have you kind of got a strategy that you know here's our normal crop Here's how we do the fertilizer. We split it up by putting some out early and some in season. Yeah, I mean, usually at time of seeding, we fertilize for what we would call an average, maybe slightly above average crop. And then we just assess from there. And the last couple of years, there hasn't been a lot of reason to do a lot of top dressing because it's been pretty dry. But this year, you know, normally we would go in with a uh, precision, you know, variable rate map. But uh all the spots in the field that we would usually reduce application rates for are flooded out. So we can just do that manually. So it's pretty much just a flat rate this year. And we're trying some other stuff like uh, Invita Biological to help fix its own end. So we'll see. We've got some comparisons on wheat and canola to see if that'll, maybe that'll replace top dressing for us. We'll, We'll find out. Yeah, a lot of questions on those types of products. It's going to be a, an interesting year because I know there's quite a few folks trying uh, different biological-type products out there. Um, back to the pulse crops, and I don't want to dwell on on something that's struggling out there, but I am kind of curious. So when you see root rots and those types of things, uh, did you do something in furrow or at seeding or on the seed to try to stop it? And uh, are there just some diseases you just can't can't catch no matter what you do? Well, unfortunately, in particular, Aphanomyces root rot, once it gets going, there's really nothing we can do for it. The best thing for it is a long rotation, like six, eight, ten years out of a pulse crop, Um, you know, particularly peas and lentils, of course. That makes a big difference. 
um, and just having a healthy stand to begin with, you know, seed treatment and good soil fertility and everything. Drainage is a, is a huge part of it, but unfortunately we farm some pieces of land that just there's nowhere for the water to go. So when it gets wet, the water sits and it starts to, it starts to rot out. And once it starts, it's really hard to stop it. Yeah, there are some tough diseases out there. There's no doubt about it. So we're always looking at at research to try to help with some of these things in terms of varietal tolerance and any kind of chemical type controls or these naturals like you were talking about. Are there going to be some naturals that can fight these things off? But uh, like you mentioned, crop rotation is is something for a lot of challenges. We have an ag that we we definitely have to turn to, no doubt about it. Well, Jake, thank you so much. I don't want to interrupt your good spray day. You don't get very many of them this year, so uh, take advantage of that and stay safe, and we'll see you later. Thanks a lot. You bet. Let's head up to North Dakota. Got Andrew on with us right now with a little wheat question. Andrew, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Good. So what are you seeing out there? Uh, so I've been scouting for uh, flag leaf emergence. We're going to do a flag leaf application and I'm noticing at the oracle uh, of the flag leaf, there's some fields where it's purple right at the oracle. I'm just curious if that is a sign of phosphorus deficiency or if that's something else. Are the lowest leaves in the plant purple also? Any purple at all? No, it's just on the oracle. Okay, so typically when it's phosphorus deficiency, then it's gonna, gonna show up on the lowest leaves first. And the reason why is because phosphorus is mobile in the plant. And so if new growth comes out and it's short on phosphorus, then it will pull that phosphorus from the lower leaves, thereby making them purple. Well, if it's just at that oracle, then it could be something else. It could just be a natural thing with that variety. It could be a drainage issue, and there are just uh, sugars accumulating that aren't moving very well because of poor drainage and poor root development. Uh, cold temperatures, which I seriously doubt that's the case this time. But, I mean, there, there are some other environmental factors that could be causing that, too. So how about what do soil tests look like? What do tissue tests look like? I mean, is there anything you can tell us that may have led you to believe it's phosphorus? Because it, it could be. So, I just doubt it, but it could be. Yep. Um, so on the, the soil test, uh, it's an agvice test. It's only at 10 parts per million. We just started farming this a couple of years ago. We're working okay. on, I mean, it was single-digit P. Um, but I spread um, at least crop removal plus some this year. Sure. Uh, I have on the tissue test, everything is in the su sufficient range. Phosphorus is on the bottom end of the range. Sure. Uh, what's high is uh, potassium is high or what they consider high. And then chloride is like very high. It's showing like, a, oh, like two times of what the sufficient range of chloride should yeah. be in the plant. Mm -hmm. did, uh, did you put any potash on this year or last year? Uh, yeah, we would have done, I did maintenance, maintenance levels of potash this year, whatever the crop removal yeah. was. I just did that for spreading for cost reasons. Sure. Yeah. And that's going to give you your chloride and then it'll keep the potassium there for now. And, and wheat doesn't pull near as much out for potassium as what soybeans do or even corn. So, I, I mean, a lot of times with wheat, we're not as concerned about the potassium as we are with some of the other crops, but with the phosphorus thing, yeah, when you're at 10, I mean, it, it, it. let's put it this way. It's possible for phosphorus to be short in that plant and the this purpling that I'm talking about robbing from the lower leaves 
doesn't happen, doesn't happen to a major degree, doesn't happen to the degree enough that it's turning the leaves purple, but maybe it is still short just enough that it is causing some purpling throughout that plant. So in, I mean, and you, you knew it already when you saw the soil test, you said, Hey, I got to at least get some phosphorus out there. I just continue to try bumping that and try building that in the future. And hopefully this issue goes away. Hopefully you're not going to have any big problem. I, we don't usually see this. Like I say, it could be variety, could be a little phosphorus, could be just the plants that don't have uh, their, their roots really fully going because of poor drainage or a number of different factors. So hopefully it'll come out of it just fine. I'm, I'm not exceptionally worried, but it, it's a good thing to be investigating that kind of stuff because you do want to figure it out when it's a small deal before it becomes something major moving forward. But yeah, I, I mean, you're right on that phosphorus. 10 parts per million sure isn't much. No. And that's why I was curious on the, the Oracle being purple. Like I know purple is a common deficiency yes. signal for phosphorus, but yep. I didn't see it on any other leaves or it was just there. Yeah. Yep. So that's what yep. made me want to call in and ask. Right. And that's where I say usually it's not phosphorus when it's just that. It still can be, but mm-hmm. I, I, it makes me think, hey, there's something else with sugar transport in the plant and something else isn't happening well. So, you know, poor root development or I mean, who, who knows? So anyway, fortunately it, too, it's, you said it's not every plant, it's just kind of sporadic, right? Yeah. In the next couple of days, we'll be spraying a flag leaf fungicide. Would you recommend trying any sort of product, just like a, a strip or two um, of like a foliar fertilizer to see if it makes any difference? Do you have sure. any recommendations there? Or? Yeah, you, you can try that. I'd probably just try some blended uh, product or something. Phosphorus doesn't go into the leaves very well, so the odds are a phosphorus foliar application probably isn't going to help you much, but you can try a little of some other foliar mix if you'd like to. Well, hey, Andrew, thanks a lot for calling in. We got to run. Stay tuned. This is Ag PhD Radio. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler Fungicide unleashes the power of the plant's microbiome and multiple modes of action to deliver extended, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. With all the advantages of no residue, zero PHI, minimal REI, and take-mix flexibility, get the fiercest, most effective protection available with Howler Fungicide, a product of AgBiome. Learn more at agbiome.com howler. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. 
At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, and we're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your emails, radio at agphd.com, or your phone calls, 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head over to Wisconsin, got Ron on with us right now. Ron, how's it going? Pretty good. Well, that's good to hear. You've had an interesting growing season over there. How are crops looking now? Uh, they're, they're struggling to hold on. We need a little rain. Yeah, I well, wish, we need a lot of rain. I wish we had some excess that we could send your way, but we really don't. All the winds that are coming from our direction, there are some pretty dry air. So, uh, which one do you think? Are your beans looking better? I, I know talking to guys in Wisconsin, they said the beans seem to start slow this yeah. year. Oh, they were horrible. We were terrible cold. Yes, yeah, they're looking a lot better now, but they we need a drink. Yeah, yeah. How? Uh, what are you doing now? I guess are you getting any spray weather to be out there, or have you kind of got everything taken care of in crop? A couple of my sandier farms. We had a variety that did real well last year, but it's only Extend. They're not. Ex- they're not the Extend Flex. Sure. <clears throat> so I'm getting ready to go out and spray Cobra. Because on my sand ground, I thought I'd be safe and not have water hemp. And, of course, the worst fields I got are the two farms that I put these beans that I can't spray Liberty on. And I got water hemp. Uh, yes. So Cobra for weed control. And we just got done spraying some Cobra here about a week ago. We Ours was partly for white mold. And I, I guess are you worried about white mold at all? Is that normally a problem in your area? Not on the sand, on the low ground. Sure, sure. We get some. Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, to be fair, we, we were just spraying the valleys and the low ground too, not not so much the hilltops. So that, yeah, kind of the same thing here. We do see it in spots and uh, try to rotate, but it seems to seems to hang on out there even even on a rotated ground. Uh, so what well, are you the, thinking, Ron? The These question, mar- oh, the, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. 
the question I have, you, you guys talk about a product called Heat Shield. Sure. Who, who makes it or what's the name of the distributor or where can you get this stuff? Yeah, it's a it's a product uh, that we've used for a number of years now on our farm too, and uh, it, it's it's a fungal endophyte product, which is is different. I know we were talking just a little bit earlier with uh, Jacob in Saskatchewan. He was saying these biological products are really curious to him as well. That he's trying to to uh, find out if they actually work. Are, are you thinking for drought? tolerance or next, what are you, what are you thinking about using it for yeah next year for drought tolerance you guys said to put it in with your popper right yeah you can use it in a number of different ways i guess one of the things that we're doing a little experiment with that product on uh at home this year we we've always done that either on the seed or or in the furrow and we're trying some foliar apps just to see because in the the on seed or in furrow work we didn't see uh that product moving all the way up into the top of the plant which which is good in a lot of ways but uh, just trying to to see well what what can we get out of the foliar applications and so we're we're actually going to be doing some of that and possibly even today they I know uh, talking to our guys on the farm they're hoping they'd get some done and it's not windy so I'm betting I'm betting that's happening as we speak. But but who 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 makes this product? Yeah, I tell you what I'll uh, this fungal endophyte. <laughs> yeah, endophytes. Yeah, it's. It's interesting. Uh, Ag Bio Solutions, I believe, is the the company, and uh, yeah, we can we can hook you up with with where we're getting that too off the air. I'll 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 patch you back over to Janelle, and she'll uh, she'll get you going on that one, Ron. Yeah, it it when we get dry like this, and Ron also mentioned he's got some sandy fields. You know, you're going to have some drought stress there. Um, that that is a spot where a product like Heat Shield could really work. Uh, Brian had a warm season grass question. This comes from CJ and he said, we've got centipede grass and I'm wondering, can we spray Freelex on that? I know centipede is sensitive to, to 2,4-D in some cases. Yeah, it is. So technically, can you do it? So what do they say? Yeah. They usually say test on a small area right. first. And so that means not your front yard. Right. But <laughs> I, I look at centipede as a creeping grass. Well, it'll tell you right on the Freelex label or the regular 2,4-D label, don't use on creeping grasses, except as a spot treatment. And you got to be careful with, uh, well, southern grasses they'll even refer to. So if you're going to do some, I'd keep it at a pretty low rate. All right. Uh, and, and yeah, let us know how that works out, CJ. Uh, I got this one from John up in Quebec, and he said, it's Canada Day here. Happy Canada Day. Unfortunately, all our agronomy experts have taken this day off. So got a question <laughs> I'm going to send to you guys. Here's a couple of pictures, and he sent uh, pictures of soybeans. Now, now, one row of soybeans looks really good. So for, for everyone listening, one row looks good. One row looks... Uh, really really bad like it's really going to be going to be completely dead here soon and he said it's hard to tell diseases from photos i know but i'm just wondering if you guys would take a guess on this my second picture shows healthy plants on the right versus some that have a little more disease well thanks john we really appreciate this i would say this and i agree with you it is hard to tell uh disease from from just a picture or something and you can't see patterns out in the field and all those things that help you dial in well would it be this one or would it be a different one uh our soybean diseases app is a free download and we worked on that with the American Phytopathological Society. So great entomology or great 
plant pathologist from a number of different land-grant universities here. I would look at that Soybean Diseases app. It's Again, it's free to download. You can look through the pictures on different diseases and see what it looks like. I will say one thing, though. On those soybean stems, there's a purple coloration right where soil level is and up for an inch or a little more. Uh, what that purple coloration is, that has nothing to do with disease. That is just an indication that plant is going to have purple flowers. And I do see uh, at least one flower on that second picture that you sent way over to the right. And, of course, it is purple. That's what that purpling is. But I can't really see brown or red on those roots. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on. And I'm kind of suspicious uh, looking at the picture when there's one green row and some around it that aren't that it might be something else. Yeah, I'm looking at, I've got it on my computer here too. Darren was just showing me the picture that we printed out. But it just, it seems a little fishy when there's a bad row and then right in between there's a good row and then the next row is bad. So I... I, I I don't know exactly what's going on. We'd have to do some, we just have to do a little field investigation, ask some more questions, find out what got used last year and this year, what's in the spray tank, what variety you're planting, and just talk about disease history. I mean, there are a lot of things we could go through because all we're doing right now is just kind of guessing when we see one bad row and one row, and granted, the good row it may not be a great row, but there is a stark difference here where that one row looks pretty amazing compared to the row that looks, uh, I'd pr- probably call it three quarters dead. So I, 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 I don't know exactly what to tell you. But if you'd like to call in sometime and we can talk it through a little bit, that would be perfectly fine. Or if you send us some more information, then maybe we can help you and, and get a little, little better idea what's going on out there. And again... Happy Canada Day. All right, get this one in from Tom over in Pennsylvania, and he said, I really appreciate your tips and advice on weed control. We've got a large, uh, we call it kitchen garden on our farm where we supplant our food supply with fresh veggies. Now, the last several years have been frustrating trying to control hairy gallon soga. It's a, a tough weed, and wondering i'm spending five to six hours a week cultivating tilling or just pulling it between rows and around my plants wondering if you have any pre-emerge post-emerge herbicide applications that could work around a bunch of different vegetable crops Uh, all right tom i i get it it is tough and rather than just a herbicide we might have to do something else because gallon soga can re-establish from cut stems and and those types of things so if you're cultivating it or you're pulling it and then dropping it on the soil it can actually get a restart from those pieces of plant that are still out there so i would suggest bringing a garbage bag with you and removing the plants as you're pulling them 2,4-D at high rates works, but that's not safe to spray over the top of your crop. I would use Freelex if you're going in between rows or something like that to avoid volatility. And you could use Roundup, of course, as well. Uh, Two other things. Uh, there's a preen that has some isoxabin in it. So preen normally has trifluralin, and that's what I would suggest, trifluralin around there for the plants that it's safe. But isoxabin, if it has a label, I know it's labeled around ornamentals, probably not veggies. That might be something that could help because that is actually labeled for gallon soga. Hey, good luck to you, Tom. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's program. 
Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.